Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crime Vine Podcast. I am your host, Felicity Brooke, and if you are new here, then welcome. This is a true crime and occasionally conspiracy theory podcast. Basically, we talk about all things true crime. Just so happens to more be on the murder and serial killer side, just because you guys seem to be more interested in that. But occasionally, we do dive into some other crime-related content. Also, before we get into this episode, I do want to apologize. I know I've been missing an action for basically two weeks now. There hasn't been an up episode. And the reason being is because I was on vacation and I didn't, I left my laptop at home and I didn't have access to a computer to upload. And not only that, I didn't have any recordings with me. And I know I should have scheduled my uploads, but I just didn't get around to that time. Just did not a lot for that. And things were working against me. So, That is why I also really have not been on Instagram or Twitter or anything, literally just been off the grid. I kind of needed that to regroup myself, but I am back now, and today we have a really interesting case for you. Now, this case hits home, and I know I probably say that in a lot of episodes, but this really hits home, and this is going to be the first time I'm saying this, but this case is actually, it happened around the area that I live, which is super kind of scary to think, but at the same time, it just makes it that much more personal. I have literally been following this case since it all came out, since everything, you know, since this little boy went missing to the day they found his body and everything. Not trying to give away too much, but this case is not one that is widely spread around the country or even around the world for that matter. And it's cases like these that I want to help spread the word and get them known. So that is why I am doing this. And also because I was very on the fence with doing this case just because I was like, I'm not sure if I want people to know where I live. But at the same time, I couldn't just do this case and not share my relation to it and why it hits so close. Not only that, it involves a child and it just, it's one of those cases. And I know it has been heard throughout the country. You know, I did a poll on my Instagram and I I don't remember the exact percentage, but I think it was like 20% of you guys knew the case. Um, And a lot of you guys had lived in, you know, that knew the case lived all over the country. But I would like to have even more people know about this case and, you know, hopefully it'll help other children that are being failed by the systems in this country. So if we could spread the word, then that is better. So anyway, today is the case about AJ Friend. Now, this child was truly failed by absolutely everybody, including professionals who are supposed to be on his side and help him. So if you guys don't already, grab yourselves a drink because this vine will most definitely rope you in. Andrew, who was also referred to as AJ, friend was born on October 13, 2013 in Crystal Lake, Illinois. He had a younger brother named Parker and was soon going to have a little sister on the way. Joanne Cunningham and Andrew Friend Sr. were the parents of AJ. Despite all the torment that Cunningham and the father put this child through, he always managed to have a smile that would light up the world. Just two days after AJ was born, DCFS received a call about alleged substance abuse. Now, in order to fully understand the failure of the system in this case, we have to take it way back to before AJ was even born. Craig Summerkamp and Joanne Cunningham were married in May of 2009. The couple shared no children and their relationship ended after Summerkamp filed for divorce in January of 2012. 
While Summer Camp and Cunningham were together, Cunningham started to complain about body aches. She went to a doctor and got a prescription. And this is when the heavy drug abuse would begin. Summer Camp said that their marriage started off well and it was like a switch flipped in Cunningham's head. She was a decent person, but then she got hooked on pills and it all went downhill super fast. During the divorce period, Cunningham would meet Andrew Friend Sr., who was none other than her lawyer. Friend was a lawyer for 30 years. During the divorce proceedings, Friend and Cunningham grew romantically involved after he tried to console her in the Woodstock courthouse. Woodstock is about 20 minutes from Crystal Lake, and a lot about this crime is going to take place in Woodstock, so it is important to know the location. As part of their divorce, Summer Camp agreed to Cunningham staying in their once-shared home. Friend also began to live in this home. According to accounts from police and others, the house smelled of dog feces and urine, had major bug and mold problems, and appeared to have fires in several kitchen appliances. Summer Camp told the Daily Mail that I knew she wasn't all there in the head, but I never thought she would go this far. In 2012, so about a year after AJ's birth, Joanne Cunningham was actually a DCFS foster parent who had two prior unfounded cases in 2012. The first case was for inadequate supervision and the second case was for the risk of harm and environmental neglect. In October 2013, Joanne gave birth to Andrew Friend whose toxology screen tested positive for opiates and benzodiazepines. Andrew was removed from his mother's care and DCFS was granted temporary custody of Andrew. He was placed with his cousin in what is called a relative foster home. In December 2014, Andrew's younger brother was born and remained home with his mother, Joanne. In April 2016, the juvenile court closed Andrew's case and DCFS monitoring ceased. Janelle Butler was the neighbor to AJ Friend. She was one of the only ones who stuck up for AJ and was on his side during these years of torment and abuse. Janelle Butler called the police and DCFS on several accounts during the last two years and still the system failed him. On one particular occasion, Janelle heard a little boy saying, he was cold, followed by screaming and yelling and curse words being thrown while she was walking her dog. She went to go see what was happening and she found AJ and his little brother in the car with no shirt or even socks on. That I remember that like a movie that you play back that you wish didn't happen. Butler said that night she heard a child crying inside a car outside the family's home. When she approached the car, she found AJ and his little brother alone without shirts or shoes. He said, my parents are going to kill each other, basically. But if they don't, we're going to take an adventure and go to a hotel tonight. I ran back, grabbed my phone, and as I got back, Joanne was getting in the car and she yelled at me, do not call the police. That night she did not, but Butler said she would later go on to call police several more times. Now knowing how it turned out, I can't wrap my head around it. She saw AJ having bruises all over his face constantly, and every time she saw it, she reported it to the authorities. Now, on March 21, 2018, a call was made to DCFS regarding substantial risk of physical injury and odd bruises on AJ's face. A month after this tip was made, DCFS decided to go investigate this complaint. The investigator concluded that the boys were clean and there were no signs of maltreatment. Let's just throw out there that they went a month after the complaint was filed. One month after. Bruises heal in just a couple of weeks. 
Of course, they're going to look like they're in good health, if they're, even if they're not. While the bruising would be gone if you waited a month, it's just plain common sense there. On May 18, 2018, DCFS determines the report of abuse was unfounded and closed the investigation. Seven months later, on December 18, 2018, DCFS got another call. It was reported that AJ had cuts, welts, and bruises. The same day, police went to the home and arrested Cunningham for driving with a suspended license. The officer said the home was not acceptable for standard living of two young children. While there, the officer noticed AJ had a large bruise on his right hip. Later that day, AJ was examined by a doctor who grew concerned when AJ told him, maybe someone hit me with a belt, maybe mommy didn't mean to hurt me. And a day later, December 19th, DCFS didn't take in account the police report from the day before and concluded that there were no feces or urine on the floor and the father denied any corporal punishment and he denied the mother using drugs. Like, come on, man. Cunningham totally looks strung out, first of all. And again, with the common sense lacking here. To me, it sounds like DCFS didn't actually go to the house and investigate like they should have. They weren't doing their job, and it ended with a little boy losing his life in the situation. Two weeks later, DCFS said there was no evidence of cuts, welts, and bruises. And that was the last time DCFS would make a ruling before AJ's death. That was their last chance to help this little boy before DCFS would have his blood on their hands. Under the fire, the department said they will reinvestigate the cases founded of any child three years of age or younger. The caseworker and supervisor in AJ's case are no longer working on child welfare cases and all their previous cases are being reviewed. Now Cunningham and friend put AJ in a cold shower and beat him to death. Autopsy reports show that AJ died due to injuries to the skull and his brain. On the same day, friend wrapped AJ in plastic and buried him in a shallow grave in Woodstock, Illinois. Three days later is when Cunningham and friend decided to report AJ missing. His call was a little suspicious and he didn't say, my child is missing, but he said, a child is missing. He didn't seem uneasy, but was disturbingly calm. After re-listening to this clip for hours, I noticed that in the background at one point, you hear someone say, he's dead. 911, what's your address of your emergency? Okay, tell me exactly what happened. Um, we, uh, we have a missing child. Um, woke up this morning and uh, he wasn't, he wasn't. How old is uh, the child? Yeah, missing child. Yeah, how old is he? He's five. What was he last seen wearing? Um, a Mario, uh, like blue, long blue sweatshirt and uh, a black sweatpants. And is he a uh, male white? Yes. Okay. And when was the last time you seen him? Uh, last night. Uh, probably 9.30 uh, when he went to bed. Okay. Are 
your father? Yes. Yes. You know where he might have went? No. Um, we canvassed the neighborhood. Yeah, I went to the local park. Um, the local gas station down here where we sometimes take them to buy treats. Um, I spoke with the assistant principal over there at the school where the park is, and they, they haven't seen uh, Kim or any other child. I, I have no idea where he would be. the garage, everywhere. What's your child's name? Uh, Andrew, last name Friend. We call him AJ. And Trend is T-R-E-N-D? F-R-E-U-N-D. Was any of the doors open? No. I mean, you know, no outside doors or anything like that. No doors or windows? No. Okay, yeah, I see him. AJ was found on April 24th, nearly a week after the search for him began. At first, Cunningham and Friend were compliant with the officers. Friend let them search his phone, and officers didn't suspect foul play until they found in his Google searches how to perform CPR on a child which was searched on April 15th and a picture of a shopping list taken on April 17th. Several items of note on the shopping list were duct tape, plastic gloves, air fresheners, and bleach, which were then all purchased at the local Jewel. Police then found at the home laundry that smelt of bleach and at least four bleach bottles as well as friend's gym shoes that were covered in mud. The two tried explaining the suspicious shopping list items as duct tape to hang pictures, bleach to clean the house, and they supposedly went through one bottle a week. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Police grew skeptical on this confession. As for the CPR search, friend said that Cunningham was searching this for the child on the way. Days later, on April 23rd, with the help of the FBI police, uncovered a deleted video found on Cunningham's phone. This was a two-minute-long video of her berating AJ for peeing on his bed. Friend would go on and tell investigators that Joanne believed AJ had ODD, Oppositional Defiance Disorder, and that AJ thinks of himself as the leader of his home, and is therefore defiant to his parents lies, disobeys, and thinks things should go his way. He would then go on and say AJ would be properly punished for not washing the dishes and stacking them correctly. I just want to say this child was only five years old. What five-year-old is doing the dishes? On the morning of April 24th, they both confessed to the murder of their son, AJ, admitting that on April 15th, AJ had lied about soiled underwear and was then subject to punishment of a cold shower 
for 20 minutes. And after putting him to bed at some point later, she would check on AJ and that's when she found him dead. Friend then said the next day he took AJ's body to the basement and stored him in a tote. He said on April 17th, he placed AJ inside several trash bags, placed his body in the trunk and drove him in an area in Woodstock. That was where he dug a shallow grave and placed AJ in it and covered it with straw and left. Cunningham and AJ's father, Andrew Friend Sr., have pleaded not guilty after they were formally indicted on a combined 61 charges of murder, aggravated battery, and concealing a homicide in AJ's death. Cunningham was about seven months pregnant at the time of her arrest. It is unclear whether Friend Sr. or Daniel Nowicki, Cunningham's boyfriend, is the father. Both men are currently in jail, and Nowicki was booked in the McHenry County Jail on June 11th because he violated his plea agreement in a previous case. And according to the judge, both men had to take a mandatory paternity test to see who the father is. Friend faces a total of 41 counts. Cunningham faces 20. Both requested a jury trial, and Friend Sr. asked for a psychological evaluation due to an opioid addiction, and prosecutors did not fight that request. Cunningham did give birth to the baby girl, and she also agreed to release the girl into DCFS custody. As stated earlier, a judge has ordered paternity tests, and the long-term custody decision for the child is ultimately up to the judge. Both parents are being held at the McHenry County Jail, and on June 18th, which was a Tuesday, there was a hearing in the case, which lasted only a few minutes, with the McHenry County State Attorney's Office asking for the couple to submit fingerprints and DNA. Prosecutors also said they are waiting for more scientific evidence in this case. Oh my goodness. I know that seems all over the place because it really was. Everybody in the community... Now, I don't I don't live exactly in Crystal Lake. I live um, probably about... 30 minutes away, but everybody in the area has been literally on edge when this, when this first happened, when we, everybody, when the community found out it was in April and we were all so shocked. We did all did not know what to do. I obviously wanted to cover this case, but I wanted to wait until more had happened and there had been more discoveries and breakthroughs. Um, they obviously, both the parents are awaiting trial and it's just, honestly, it's so, it's so sad hearing all this and how this little boy was failed by so many people. There had been so many calls to DCFS saying, hey, like something seriously wrong is happening here. Like you really need to check it out. And these um, DCFS workers literally did nothing about it. I think they said that in the the supervisor and the DCFS agent, um, their total history of work. I think there was like one other death of a child or maybe there's two. I'm not hundred percent sure though. Don't quote me on that, but I am glad they are, you know, being investigated and all those cases are being reviewed and looked at. That is not okay. Especially a child helpless, can't care for themselves. And in a situation like that, like their parents obviously were heavy, heavy, heavy drug users. And it just really is sad that a child had to lose his life because his parents were heavily addicted to drugs. And if you see pictures of him, you can tell that he was an opioid baby. Like he, he like 
this poor child has literally suffered his entire life and had to endure that abuse. That type of abuse is honestly, it's mind blowing. I can't, I don't understand how a parent can place a child in a freezing cold shower for 20 minutes after beating him to and hitting like in his head. Head injuries are serious and obviously deadly. So I don't understand what, what it was going through their mind. Obviously a lot of it had to do with being on drugs, but Still, DCFS should have seen that, A, the house, like, there's no way you would have walked into that house. And if you, you can even look up pictures on Google and everything, and you'll see there's no way that if you walk up to that house that, you know, it's it's going to pass inspection and all that. There's just no way. So that leads me to believe that the investigators, like the DCFS investigators, did not actually go to the house and investigate the premise and seeing if it was actually a safe environment for a child. And even a police officer had reported it as not being a safe environment. And there was a doctor too that had a confession from AJ saying that, you know, maybe my mom hit me. Maybe she didn't mean it. Maybe they hit me with a belt. Like he was basically telling that doctor and that doctor went ahead and, you know, tried doing what he was could do. And at the end of the day, DCFS failed this child and it led to this child's death and um he does obviously like I said had two he has two younger siblings and they are in protective custody hopefully they will get a better life than um AJ got and oh it's just so sad honestly it is so sad I want to know what you guys think about this case also, if you can take just a few moments and rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you are listening to, it will greatly help me out. Also, if you want to follow me on Instagram, that is at the Crime Vine Podcast. And I am also active on Twitter at the Crime Vine PO1. Send me your guys' requests for cases you want me to cover. I would rather do cases that aren't wildly known across everywhere, basically. I, I want occasionally will do the cases that everybody knows, like say Zodiac Killer or whatnot. But I'd rather do cases, you know, smaller scale cases like this that not everybody knows and to just try and help get the word out. So with, so thank you guys all so much for listening and I will talk to you guys in my next podcast episode.